you for the birthday song. Thanks, Dad. That's great. Uh, several folks in uh, our primetime group have told me often that uh, with age comes wisdom. They remind me of that a lot, so that I should listen to them more and more, you know, because they've achieved the wisdom that comes with age. So don't be intimidated this morning, because I'm 44 now. Kind of, kind of smart. It just happened yesterday. So, yeah. So, uh, I I had a lovely birthday, uh, and uh, it, it it was full of blessings and surprises, and and uh, in the, yesterday morning, my wife sent me off. She said, you have to hide because kids want to make you breakfast in bed. And, and so that was a very sweet, I won't go all into it, but it was an, a pretty incredible breakfast, let me tell you what. And so I'm very, very blessed. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Um, let's see here. Let's see. Um, good morning, everybody. And, uh, and I just want to welcome you here to Generations Church. My name's Scott, if you're new with us. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. In honor of being 44, I'm going to talk today 44 reasons why... No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Last week, we started a brand new series in here called Jesus Is. Uh, and uh, the big idea is that we're, we're taking some time in these weeks... Leading up to Easter, these weeks in the traditional Christian world uh, known as the the season of Lent, we're taking these weeks to discover uh, the person of Jesus. We're we're, we're building up to a resurrection. I don't know if you heard, but the grave is empty. Um, But we're we're, we're building up to it. So we're going to take this time to learn about Jesus and not only study him like some kind of an academic thing, but our desire is to fall more in love with him. That's what we want. That's why we're here is to fall more in love with Jesus, not just to study him. We want to pursue who he really is, anything we can do to discover who he really is. And, and that changes our lives because it's not, like I said, it's not just an academic exercise. Discovering who Jesus is and following him changes our lives. And so our, uh, our launching point each week uh, in this little series is going to be these powerful single words used in, especially the book of John, used to describe Jesus, these single words. And last week we explored the enormous implications of what it means that Jesus was called the Word. The Word was with God. He was God. In the beginning was the Word, this ultimate creative reality of God. And and, uh, hopefully that was a blessing to you. But this week, We're going to skip forward a little bit and drill into the 14th chapter of John, where Jesus is called the way. We're going to look at the way. So let's start right here in in chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not true, I would have told you uh, that I'm going... uh, so, uh, So... I would, I, I, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Verse 3 says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. The way. And then Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, 
I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So just like last week we said that, you know, Jesus doesn't just come and tell us the words of God. He is the word and how powerful that fact is. Today we're going to explore how Jesus doesn't just come and he tell us a way to God. He is the way, right? Jesus isn't, he's not the doorkeeper, he's the door, right? And so we're going to kind of wrap our minds around that today. So let's, let's dig into this statement uh, a little bit here. Jesus talks about himself as the way, the truth, and the life. And in the coming weeks, we'll look at those other two. But I think it's interesting, within our culture, we tend to clamor for that second one, the truth. In other words, we tend to detach truth from way and life. We detach truth. And, and we're going to, like I said, we're going to dive into Jesus as the truth in a few weeks. But very often in the Western church, we boil down Christ following, Christ following to academic knowledge, gaining more knowledge, or just learning stuff, getting my theology straight, being, becoming orthodox in how I think. Now, many of you have probably heard this word orthodox. How many of you have heard that word before? Sure. Every orthodox, it's kind of a common term. What's interesting is in the study of religion, there's two terms that theologians use that are kind of similar, but they're very different. And, and the first word is orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is an interesting word. It literally means right thinking. Orthodoxy, right thinking. You're thinking right, you got right doctrine, right thinking. Having correct doctrine. It's a commonly known thing. Now, what, sometimes what you'll find if you look at church history or around the world, different church group, different um, uh, kind of belief groups within Christianity will emphasize one thing or the other, but they typically will, emph- here in the West, we really emphasize orthodoxy, right thinking. But another, the other half of this theology, study of theology, is a term called orthopraxy. Orthopraxy literally means right doing. How many of you have heard of orthopraxy? Okay, so far less people. And that, that's, that's natural in our society, um, which is interesting. We have right thinking and right doing. And, and like I said, in some religious groups will emphasize right thinking. Some will emphasize right doing. You know, they're very about, about uh, those will tend to be groups that uh, emphasize the, the ritual of a thing, you know, doing things in the right manner, in the right order, in the right way. Um, here in the West, we really emphasize right thinking. Uh, and I think it's really telling that everyone here has heard of orthodox, but few of us have heard of orthopraxy few of us have heard of right doing, this concept. Um, and it's kind of, it, you, you kind of, it, it sort of tells a lot about our circles and, and kind of our background and our society, our culture. Um, it's really important in our circles. You know, we're not so much on, you know, whether you do things, you know, you follow the, the right incantation or step or, you know, tradition, that kind of thing. Uh, in, in us, it really matters what you think. Do you, do you believe the right list of things? Do you believe the right doctrine? How you live? And eh, we don't really care about that so much, as long as you're thinking the right thing. You can kind of see this sort of, sort of background of Western problems right there. Um, and this is because many of us in the church, we tend to detach learning or uh, accumulating information or truth from lifestyle or actions or the way of a Christ follower. And the thing is, both the 
Apostle Paul and Jesus, they do not allow us to separate truth from way. Notice in this statement, look at it again. What's the first thing that Jesus lists here? The first thing he says, way. The way is actually the first step. If you look at his encounters with people in the New Testament, when he went up to a disciple, what's the first thing he said? Hey, get up and follow me. I'm walking this way. You come with me, right? What's the first thing he told, you know, a, a rich guy? He would say, okay, you do, you, that's all great. Your thinking is cool, but um, why don't you sell everything and follow me? Follow in the way. He invites people to follow him as the first step, and we join him on the way. We place, what we do is we place our faith in, in the fact that he is trustworthy enough that if we follow him on the way, then he will start to unveil truth to us. It, we'll see the truth in this person that leads to life, the way, the truth, and the life. All right? So he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. We live in a culture that, in, in fact, here, here's another implication of this. We live in a culture here in, in the church that will tempt us as Christians um, who we want to attract people to Jesus, don't we? Right? You want, to, you want to invite your neighbors to church and you want to get them saved, and that's awesome. So we want to attract people to Jesus and get people saved so we can be, a, we can be tempted to suppress the way in order to sell the truth. We'll suppress the way to sell the truth. We prefer to say, hey, salvation, it's a free gift. It's awesome. It's a free gift. Just pray this prayer. Believe this stuff. You're in. Here's your membership card. Welcome to the club. You're in. You're a Christian, right? The Bible shows us, though, a Jesus who, who says, whoa, 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 you don't even really start learning this stuff. You definitely don't start understanding this stuff until you walk in my dust for a while, until you follow me. Walk with me on the way. Submit to me as the Lord. Invite me to be Lord of your life. Walk with me. We'll do life together. We'll develop a relationship together and through other believers. And then you're going to find out some radical and beautiful teaching that will lead to life. But, it, but it's kind of amazing, you know, when you, when you think about this. When you think about the pattern of the New Testament, how Jesus, you know, evangelized, and you kind of think about our common pattern. It, it's, it's interesting how, how backwards some of us have gotten this relationship. You know, I, uh, this year I will have been married a wonderful 17 years. This, this coming summer, 17 years with my beautiful wife, Melissa. And um, someone once said, I've, we've, we've had 15 wonderful years together. Two of them weren't so great. But no, no. Uh, in my case, it was 17 wonderful years. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that was an interesting thing. When, when, when we met and we, uh, you know, and, and I wanted a relationship with this, with this woman, I didn't go to school for four years to go learn about my wife before I started a relationship. I didn't go learn facts about her, you know, for years. What I did was we started going out. I fell in love. We started dating and I married her, Right? And, and then as we live and as we walk together in this wonderful thing of life, all sorts of wonderful things, I, I'm learning about her still every day, you know, this incredible creature. And, and, and it's, a, it's a journey, and that's the way it's kind of supposed to be. That's kind of the natural way. You, you don't just academically study Jesus and then say, great, 
All right, I've studied him. I mentally agree to this you know, list of systematic theology. That makes me a Christ follower. I'm a follower of Christ. I agree to all this stuff that's been written here. See, lifestyle is central to the way of Jesus. And this is the reality that we see in the lives of the, his followers, his disciples, the apostles, the early church. Most of the guys, he said, hey, put down your fishing rod and follow me. They didn't have a clue, right? And we see in Scripture, they continued not to have much of a clue, you know? But, but they were following. They were in the way. They were doing it, right? And they're, they're his disciples. Nowhere do we see anyone in the New Testament. I couldn't find anybody who simply mentally assents to some doctrines and then is called a Christian. Jesus came, we said this last week, Jesus came to announce not a new religion, right? But a new reality, reality 2.0, a new humanity. So to, to understand Jesus as the way is to discover, he, he's not primarily pointing us to another list of beliefs to agree with. He's pointing us to a revolutionary way of living. We got to get that inside us, Okay. Now, let's look at some, some characteristics of living this way. If, if you want to understand the way, you've got to look at not just what Jesus did, but the way he said it, the way he did things, the way he said things. And one of the f- first things that we see right off the bat is how uh, countercultural this way of life is. Jesus was so counter, he's so countercultural and counterintuitive in the way he, he did things and he approached subjects. When Jesus calls himself the way, we better believe it's not like any other way we've seen before or since. In Luke 9, 24, Jesus says, whoever saves his life will lose it. That's kind of backwards. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's counterintuitive, right? But, but so is most of what Jesus teaches us. He says, the first shall be last. He says, the greatest among you is the servant of all. He says, love your enemies. He says, when someone hits you, you turn the other cheek. What? Right? Pray for those who love you. No, pray for those who persecute you. You got to be kidding me. Pray for them. Whoever exalts himself, he said, will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And what's even more amazing is that Jesus, he didn't just come and he didn't just like come up with this stuff like on the spot, like trying to preach stuff that was nonsense or something. He, it's actually the most brilliant approach to living anyone could imagine. He said the meek would be the ones that inherit the earth. The meek, not the powerful. And his favorite target in his sermons, you know, these religious sermons, his favorite target for ridicule were the Pharisees, the religious leaders. So he's, 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 just plain counterintuitive in what he does. And that's partly what drove the religious leaders crazy back then. He didn't fit into their religious box. He was unpredictable. He's unconventional. He, he, he definitely walked to the, the beat of a different drummer. And so for you and me, the way to walk in the way of Jesus is to live the most counterintuitive, countercultural life. And let's face it, that takes courage. It takes courage. We don't seek power. We seek to serve. That takes courage, right? Because everything in us wants power, right? You want it. I want it. We all want power. And, and, and the way says, no, 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 seek to serve. See, who, who else can I serve today? Who, what can I give today? We don't seek revenge when somebody does something. We forgive and love. 
We don't seek to exalt ourselves. We want to humble ourselves. We don't seek to save and preserve our lives. We seek ways to give them up every day. How can I give up my life every day? And Jesus wasn't just counterintuitive or unconventional. If you read the Gospels, you find out also how shockingly irreligious Jesus was. He breaks the Sabbath. He hangs out with sinners. He rebukes religious types, and and then he turns prostitutes and tax collectors and Samaritans into the heroes of his story. Right? That's irreligious. You you never really know what he's going to do next. And he, you know, he'll one time the crowd wanted to crown him king and he disappeared right through them, right? He just kind of snuck away. And yet he walks right into Jerusalem when the Pharisees are trying to kill him. Right up there. And eventually you just learn with Jesus, you got to expect the unexpected. He's predictably unpredictable, which brings us to another distinctive characteristic of the way. Let's look at a Galatians 5. Scripture says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. One of the ingredients of living in the way is a willingness to be led by the Spirit. To do whatever, whenever, wherever. He calls, I'm there. I'm going to do it. And that's exciting, but let's admit it. That's kind of terrifying too. It's a terrifying way to live. There's a part of us that wants predictability, familiarity. We want stability. But that's not, honestly, it's not really what Jesus offers. That's not at the top of his list. Predictability, familiarity, and stability. There's kind of an old saying, you've probably heard, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, right? The life of the way is full of surprises. If you, if you don't want a dull life, there's no better way to live than according to the way of Jesus, It's exciting, but it forces us to give up something that we all love. Oh, it's something we're addicted to. It forces us to give up control. The addiction to control. Oh, control. It hurts, right? (laughs) There was one time. uh, I was at work. And I'm working, and, and, and I kind of have my, my day planned out. I've got my week planned out. You know, I've got everything, like, in a little spreadsheet, color-coded. You know, and, and everything's, I know, I know what, what's going on, and everything's got to happen just so. And um, I, th- I think it maybe was my birthday. Maybe it was, it was my birthday again. Coincidence. Um, my wife shows up at the office. Beautiful wife shows up, walks in. I'm like, hey, honey, what? it's good to see you. What are you doing here? And she said, I'm here to kidnap you. And it's all set. And we've got a sitter for the kids. And I've asked your boss. And you've got the, you you know, we're going to take off. We've got dinner reservations downtown. We can like stay at a place downtown. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a great night. And I was like, oh, that's great. And this is so great. And my brain is thinking, but I'm on number four of my day. Still got nine more things. And it's blue. You can't skip out on blue. And yeah, you have to be, you have to understand. Um, and, and I was, you know, my brain's doing all this. Oh, no, this is okay. I'm going to have fun. This is fun. This is fun. It's not planned. <laughs> yeah. And she's so sweet. She even looked at me. She's like, you're a little bit miserable right now, aren't you? She's driving. I was like, no, this is great. It, and it took 
like six hours to like come down, <laughs> relax and stop shaking. So yeah, control. Yeah, I, I, I understand control. Um, the need for it, at least. I'm usually out of control, but I, use, I understand the need for control. Most of us want more and more control. Most of us, that's kind of like, if you looked at the reasons behind our goals in life, it's like to somehow assemble more and more control over things, right? And that doesn't make you evil. It makes you human, okay? That's a human thing. We like predictable places, predictable people, um, but the way is about less and less control. That's what we got to admit. The way is about less control. We learn to let go and let God. You've heard us say that. Let go and let God. And it's so true. We enter into this mystery of being led by the Spirit. There's no better way to live. Even for a control freak, there's no better way to live when you just let go and let God. Oswald Chambers, the great writer, said, to be certain of God, in other words, to trust God, to be certain of God means that we are uncertain in all our ways, we do not know what a day may bring forth. When you are truly honest in the morning and you say, God, today is yours. Today, you, when, when your feet hit the floor, you're sitting in bed and you say, today, Lord, is yours. If you mean it, get ready for a wild ride, right? Be, it's, it'll be a wonderful day. But I've learned that when I feel like I've got everything under control, honestly, that's usually not where God usually wants me to be. When I've got all the ducks in a row, that's usually not where God wants me to be. It's, it's when I feel most like things are spending a little out of control and I don't quite know how we're supposed to get that thing done and this thing, and I don't know how it's supposed to work and we definitely can't afford this thing and it's, how, how is it all going to happen? That's when God is most at work in my life. He's got room to move and, and that's the real life of faith. That, that is a life of faith. Um, so, and, and, and walking in the footsteps of Jesus, giving up control, it takes faith. That is one of the elements of living in the way, is faith. Faith isn't just thinking positive thoughts. See here again, we got we to gotta get out of kind of the Western thing. Faith isn't just thinking positive thoughts. It's putting your life on the line because you're willing to entrust it to Jesus. It's saying, I really trust Jesus, I, and I, I actually am going to trust Jesus in my actions today. And something Jesus said in, unpacks this really brilliantly in the book of Mark. He says this. We're going to look at this scripture for a couple minutes. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. In other words, God's done it a certain way up until now. Things are getting fulfilled now. Now it's the fullness of time. Uh, now this is the time everything changes. And he said, here's what you need to do in response to this. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news, or the gospel might be in some of your Bibles. Repent and believe the good news. Now, in, in this phrase right here, there's two calls to action Jesus gives us that become very important to understanding the way, the, the, this whole message of Jesus. What often happens is we can easily miss what he's really saying. We miss the original context uh, because, you know, just naturally, we sort of import our cultural context on these words. And the problem is we end up bringing the baggage of our culture, and we don't understand what Jesus is saying during his day, what he was really saying. For instance, this one word, first word he says here, repent. It's this Greek word, metanoeo. And it's become this really religious word, repent, right? 
uh, you say, repent, you picture the guy, you know, wearing the placard boards things on college campuses, yelling, it's the end of the world, turn or burn, ye heathen ye, right? That's the idea I get, maybe it's just me. Um, repent. And, and, and actually, it turns out it's this really wonderful word in the Greek in Jesus' day. It literally means to turn one's mind to a new way of thinking, to turn one's mind. It's an invitation for folks to be willing to change directions, to be open to a new way of looking at a situation, at the world, to, to shift counterculturally the way you look at life and reality. And the Hebrew word for repent literally means to turn around and face a new direction. So he's telling you, turn around, face a new direction. And then what does he say to do? Believe. Believe. This is another word that we, we typically assign some kind of a mental, uh, mental action to. It's the same word. It's this word pisteo in the Bible, the Greek word. It's the same word as the word for faith. What we call believe or faith in the Greek is the same word, it's, and it's a relational word, it turns out. It literally means to trust in a person. To trust in a person. It doesn't necessarily mean to understand or mentally assent or agree with a list of things. It means to trust in someone. That's very important. To trust in someone. And if, if you only get one thing this morning... I want to invite you to not just have, uh, believe that we have to go through life trusting in things or ideas. I want to invite you to trust in someone, to believe in someone, and uh, to, to be faithful in our relationship with that person is, it has another meaning for it. It's very relational. It's a relational word. Let's think about it. If Jesus were to come to you right now, Jesus comes to you right now, and he says, follow me. Okay, repent, turn, you know, take a turn in a new direction, look at things differently, and trust me, believe in me, follow me, let's go. If Jesus said that, what would your response of faith actually look like in that moment? What would it look like on the outside? It, it would look like following Jesus, right? It would look like following Jesus. That, that's it. And you know, whether you understand everything, every little thing or not, your lifestyle would say to the world, the world would look at you and say, uh, you would be saying, I'm putting my faith, I'm putting my trust in this Jesus. I'm going to walk in his dust. I'm walking in the way of Jesus. It doesn't mean everything's clear. You've got, you know, all your doctrine figured out just right. You've studied things and you've gone through the thorough exegesis of all the scripture and the original Greek and Hebrew and you got it all. You have no more questions. That's not what it means. It means I have faith that Jesus is trustworthy. Do we have faith this morning that Jesus is trustworthy even if you hadn't got him figured out yet? Even if you've got some serious questions, some serious doubts going on. If you're there today, I'm telling you, this Jesus is trustworthy. You can trust him with your life and with your lifestyle. You can get up and follow him. And he's not going to bash you over the head because you don't understand everything yet. He's trustworthy. And so you say, so I'll follow him. And yeah, along the way, you get to ask him questions. And you deepen your relationship with him by, by not only obeying his commands, but learning about him and that sort of thing. And you live it out together. It's active. That's a relationship that's active. It's alive. 
Many of us Christians, I think, have a, have a brilliant habit of completely misunderstanding Christ's call to follow him. And I've been guilty of this. If you want a really good picture of religion, here it is. Um, we're gathered together. We're studying scripture. We're studying what things mean, the Greek word for faith, and that sort of thing, exhibit A. And Jesus walks up, uh, up to us and says, hey, guys, follow me. And we huddle up even closer to each other. We say, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> Jesus said, follow me. What do you think that means? That is awesome. Man, what do you think, what do you think that means in terms of sort of the, you know, the postmodern existentialist dilemma of humanity? How does that fit into that? What do you think it'll mean like when everything's all done at the end of time? How is that going to look when we're all done following him? And, and now that he's invited us to follow him, now let's, let's think, do, has he chosen us or have we chosen him? That's a, that's a serious question. We need to really debate that. And, um, and you know, where, where's freedom, free will in all this? I'm not sure. And if we do follow him, can we fall off the path? Or are we sort of destined to, you know, once on the path, always on the path? I don't know. <laughs> These are serious questions. We need to answer these questions. Are we, I don't know if I'm eternally secure on this path. What about, what about, what about, what about? And then we do something even more fun. We separate these little camps. These separate little camps of people all huddled together who are asking the the same questions and, and agreeing. And because we think following Jesus means we have discussions about Jesus. Right? And when we finally do look up, Jesus is like way down the road. He's going, guys, I'm going to head down here. Y'all catch up when you're done. Right? Bruxy Cavey says, when God just becomes the subject we study, we are starting to kill the relationship. When God becomes the subject we study, just becomes the subject we study, then we're starting to kill the relationship. So God is more than a system for us to understand. He's more than a hobby. He's more than an intellectual pursuit. I love intellectual pursuits. They're fun, right? They make for great times with a friend at the coffee shop. But God is more than that. He's more than systematic theology. He, not that theology and doctrine aren't important. They're, they, they are. They're not, it's not that they're not important for us to study. But honestly, they are of infinitely lesser priority to a follower of the way, who is Jesus, than investing ourselves into a relationship with him and following the way, who is Jesus. Those things really come second. Following the way is of infinitely higher priority. And, 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 and living that relationship with God, living that relationship with other people, the people whom God loves, it's a testament to, to our habit of, of completely missing the point uh, that we've often substituted winning a theological argument instead of building a relationship. As, as the method by which we show ourselves as true disciples. That's how I show myself as a true disciple. Not by winning the argument, but by building a relationship. Paul even tells Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2, he says, remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. That's pretty strong language. Another way we, we can subtly miss the point of following Jesus is, is somehow we take that to mean 
well, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. And we take that to mean that Jesus is going to follow us. And so I'm a follower of Christ. And in our brain, if we were being honest, the picture we really have is Jesus follows me everywhere I go. <laughs> right? In John 10, 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This is a common mistake. It kind of looks like Jesus says, follow me. And we're like, okay, 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 Jesus, I tell you what, I tell you what, I'm going to live my life, right? I'm going to live my life. And Jesus, you sort of follow me and uh, you help out when I get in trouble. You're the one I'm going to turn to. And, and in return, we, we meet, we meet Jesus here once a week at the church building, I'm not going to like follow you every day, Jesus. Don't get crazy. I'll meet you here once a week. That's what following you is. And, oh, it's Sunday. It's time to go meet Jesus. I'm not sure where he's been all week, but we're going to go meet him at church. Um, so now, like I said, you can have the discussions. They're awesome. I love them. I love the discussions, asking the questions about what it all means. But let's do so while we walk. Let's have them while we walk, while we follow Jesus, meaning that we do the things he did. We go to the kinds of people he went to. That's following the way. And, and so we have to remember the whole time that, that our discussions and our questions and the systematic doctrinal constructions, as interesting and important as they are, they're not the same thing as our faith, because faith is an action. Faith is trusting in a person. It's trusting in the person that you're following. If you follow a leader, that means you have faith in that leader. And our faith in God means we are trusting that God is trustworthy, and we're going to follow in his ways, trusting the one who is the way, trusting in the gospel, the good news. And what is the good news that Jesus brought? That God came, he became one of us, the word enfleshed, to have a relationship with us, to show us love, to save us, not only from sin, but from religion. That's great news. That is good news. He saved you from your sin, the bondage of sin, and he also saved you from religion, right? No more killing your sheep and offering it on the altar in hopes that, you know, some angry God will spare your life just one more day. You don't got to do that. We're free from that. Jesus says, that is the good news that I'm here to deliver. Trust in me. See, religion has this habit of taking what ought to be a relationship and it turns it into a system, right? Wherever you see a relationship being turned into a system, there's religion. There it is. And faith is not a religious system. Faith is trusting enough in the person of Jesus to walk in his ways, to walk in his ways. Little, little uh, Bible trivia here. Uh, what was the first name given to these brand new group of Christians in the first century, even before there was the word Christian? Do you know? The way followers of the way, right? They, and this is what they were called, notice, by people who observed these strange new folks. The way, we see it in the book of Acts. They were called those who belong to the way. Outsiders called Christians this. Christians didn't label themselves this. That's what others called them. Why? Because these outsiders could look at them and go, well, I don't, I'm not sure what all they believe, but I'll tell you what, they live different. Most people live different. They have a whole different way of living, right? There's this countercultural movement going on. It's against the flow. Those people aren't buying into the, the rules of culture. There's something different about them. Humanity 2.0. It's a new way of living. A new way of living. 
It's not just a new set of rules or beliefs that you got to agree to before you join. It's a new way of living that then begins to transform your understanding, right? Because that does come. I'm not, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. It's a new way of living that begins to transform your understanding. So having said all that, let me, let me just give you a little word of caution right here this morning. Keep in mind that right here what we're doing, we're studying Jesus in Scripture, right? We're, do, we're studying Jesus in Scripture. And in this series, that's what we're doing, studying Jesus in Scripture. We're exploring <clears throat> in this Sunday morning setting, in this, this beautiful building, and we're all here together, um, that, that what it means to live in the way, we're, just, we're, we're studying what it means to live in the way, but this is not the same as living in the way. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I just want to make sure we're all, see, this is important. We've gathered here together to do this. We're studying what it means to live in the way. We're not yet living in the way. Okay? Faith is hearing the sermon, the word preached, and then doing the word. Okay? So this is like the academic portion of, you know, like, you know, before you become a doctor, you got to go to med school. And you got to go to a lot of med school, but you haven't saved any lives yet, right? You're not in, you know, you're not in the ER saving bleeding people. Um, so we're not being Jesus to the world till we step outside these doors, okay? And I have to remind myself that too, because you know I, I'm just like you. I, I'll, you know, Sunday morning will finish, and you know whether someone else is preaching or I'm up here, so whatever, whatever's going on, I'll leave Sunday morning feeling pretty good about myself. Hey, way to go, Hale, you know. Um, you know, I've done it. I, I, I did it. I did, I did my part. And I, this is not my part. This is not it, right? We're studying together. But I, I get to be a, a follower of the way in about 10 minutes, right? That's when it starts. Because central to living the way of Christ is relationship. It's relationship. Um, it's not enough for us to just come in here and learn stuff about God once a week. We've got to figure out how to live in community with each other, forming relationships with each other. Now, that's important. Those relationships we have with each other are important because then we, we do get to see Christ in action, in the flesh, in the works that we do together. You, you know, when you and I get together and we go bless the world, that we get to see Christ in action. Uh, making disciples of the people that God puts in your circle. Every single one of you have a circle of people that God has put in your life, and it's a unique circle that's not just like anybody else's circle. And that's a huge responsibility to make those, uh, turn those people into disciples of Jesus Christ. And um, in the times that we do get to be together and we have those personal intimate encounters and we get to talk and encourage one another, we're getting to be Jesus to each other and instruct each other and keep each other accountable. Those are all important parts. Here's what we have to get. Here's what we have to understand. Community with one another. It's not just sort of important or sort of vital to the success of church. Community is the church. Community is the church. It is by definition what the church is. The body of Christ. We were called the body of Christ. So, if the church is not doing that, then the church is somehow failing to really be fully itself. I heard someone much smarter than me say, real church happens when we turn to face each other. Real church happens when we turn to face each other. 
So this is just half the picture of church. This right here, this is half the picture. Everyone's sitting in rows, you know, facing the same direction, listening to the, you know, paid professional holy man, you know, teaching information about God. That has its place. Exhibit A. Teaching and worshiping together is great, but never forget that a crucial part of our lives as Christ followers has to happen outside these walls. It has to. It, and, and teaching can help us grow in different ways. It should. And it can offer you information you didn't know or help you to maybe inspire you to look at things a little differently. But that's not the entirety of what the way is. That's not, what, that's not even what family looks like, right? That's not what family looks like. That's like a family who just gets together once a week or, you know, every evening and watches TV and nobody talks. You know, you have your TV hour together. That's not family. I mean, that's not, you know, healthy family. <laughs> um, it, just you and I being in each other's presence right now isn't community. We're around each other, but that's not community. That's why it's incumbent on every single one of us to ask, how can we continue uh, moving beyond these rows? I'm always asking myself this question. How can we move beyond these rows and, and turn these lines into circles and form community, be family together, to challenge one another, and then reach our community together, pray for one another, give each other a safe place to confess our sins, our struggles, our failings. And, and until it gets to that point, it's not a full expression of what church is. Until it gets to that point, you have really good Bible school, but you don't necessarily have church. Bible school's good. It's great. Um, it's great to go to Bible school, but that's not community. And so that's something that is really on our heart here uh, to continually improve here at Generations. We always want to do that, to ask God to help, help us create more opportunities, more environments, more space uh, for that to happen during the week as soon as these, these doors you know, open and everyone leaves here. We have to be open for God to do a new thing. Are you open for God to do a new thing? I am. I'm really open for that. And, and, and he's faithful. And uh, I think as he moves us in this area, he, he shows us more and more ways that we can honor him by living relationally and uh, by living in the way, by putting our faith in action. Um, because sometimes surrendering to the way, it means dying to the familiar Surrendering to the way often means dying to the familiar, dying to the traditions of, you know, that we've had, the traditions of men, the norms of our culture, being willing to give up what's comfortable. I know that's hard. I sympathize with that. Get, giving, being willing to give up what's comfortable so that we can walk in Jesus' footsteps, so that we can reach new people. I'm really not interested in just reaching ourselves here, you know, for the next however long. I want to reach new people. I want, together with you, I want to partner with you. I want us reaching new people. And I want us reaching new people all during the week, right? And then bring them in here, right? Bring them in here because this is an important part of it all. But, but, but the way happens during the week. And we've we got to be willing for that. Traditions are great. Traditions are great when they remind us of who God is, a tradition can be very powerful. You know, even a ritual can be powerful if it serves to remind us of who God is. Um, 
But when they begin to be a substitute for living out the way of Jesus or a shortcut to spirituality and communion, then we got to be willing to throw that tradition away like rotten leftovers in the fridge, right? It has served its purpose. It was good, and now it is bad. <laughs> it has gotten in the way of being in the way. Um, in Matthew fifteen three, Jesus, he rebukes the religious types. He says, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? We could say, why aren't you following me? Why do you refuse to follow me so that you can keep your tradition? When, when man-made tradition it supersedes the commands of God, then we've crossed a line. And, you know, we've got to stop doing what we've always done simply because it's always what we've always done. Uh, someone said that the very last, the, the last eight words of every, every dying church are this, but we've never done it that way before. The last eight words of every dying church. So the way of Jesus is full of surprises. It's an exciting way to live. It's an exciting way to encounter God, to relate to your fellow believers, to relate to the world. It's an exciting way to have church the way. It's full of surprises. Um, it, it's, it requires staying flexible and adaptable. I want to finish up here with just one little story. One time Jesus, he was talking to this guy in the Bible named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a very educated, very wealthy, respected, powerful religious leader. He was one of the big wigs. He was a significant person in society, well-respected. He would have been considered an elder of his day. He was probably older than, you know, the average of society. And uh, Jesus does this very Jesus-y kind of thing, thing that he likes to do. He challenges him in, in a way that would have been sort of terrifying for this older, wealthy, powerful man who is now secure in the place that he's achieved in life. Jesus just comes along and just, you know, knocks over everything. He tells him to be born again. Remember, he's talking to an older gentleman. He's telling his older gentleman to be born again. In verse 3, Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And then later in verse 6, he says, Jesus tells him, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And then later in verse 8, he says, the wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. This sounds like spirit, spirit kind of living here, right? Uh, Jesus is challenging Nicodemus here to swap all his years of control and competence for newness, Right? to exchange his, his certainty for mystery. He's asking a lot of this guy. He's asking him to exchange his faith in a static, unchanging God for a living relationship with the wind that blows where it pleases. That's a lot to ask of this guy. One writer, uh, Gerard Kelly, he said that Jesus was asking this religious leader to give up religion and inherit the wind. Give up religion and inherit the wind. It's a pretty good description, I'd say, of walking in the way. Give up religion and inherit the wind. And Jesus offers us a way of living that's not the same old, same old. It's definitely not. It's a way of life that will completely turn everything upside down in the most wonderful way you can imagine. Because he, he loves you, right? He's not just messing with you. <laughs> he loves you. The, the poet Ralph Waldo 
Emerson said, don't go where the path may be. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail, right? That's exactly what Jesus did. And he didn't just tell us about another path. He became the path. He is the way. So here's my challenge to you this morning, wrapping this up. Here's my challenge to you. Let's follow in his footsteps. Ask God this morning what that means for you to follow in his footsteps, to get up and actually follow him. Believe in the good news. Believe in him. Trust in him because he is trustworthy. Trust in this person, Jesus Christ, enough to follow him no matter where it leads you. He's the way. Jesus is the way to happiness. Jesus is the way. You want happiness? Jesus is the way to happiness. You want success? Jesus is the way to success. He's the way to a fulfilled life. You want excitement? Jesus is the way to excitement. He is the way to freedom from bondage. You want to be free from that thing? Jesus is the way. Walk in his steps. He invites you to walk in his way because there really is no other way, right? The other ways are all dead ends. He is the way. You can follow him because you can trust him. Amen. I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come forward and uh, let's pray while they're coming forward. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you, Jesus, for being the way, for showing us the way, Lord God. You gave us this beautiful, beautiful picture just in your daily life of what it looks like to walk in that way, Father God, to walk in your footsteps. Help us. Give us the courage, Lord, to to trust in you. Help us to trust in you. If we, you said if we just had faith of a mustard seed, that we could move mountains, Lord God. Give us that courage, that faith in you, that trust that you're going to come through. You'll always be there. You'll never leave us or forsake us, Father God. Help us to walk in the way. Show us the little areas, Father God, where we've been sort of lulled to sleep, where we've just sort of been talking about the way and not walking in the way. Show us those things, Father, because we want to please you. We want to do great things for you, Lord God. We thank you for what you're doing in us. We thank you for what you're doing in our church, Lord Lord God, we thank you for the the lives that you are touching around the world. Even today, Lord God, lives that are changed because people here stood up and decided to walk in the way and to put their action where their faith is, Father. I thank you, Father God, for those. I thank you for your blessing. You never leave us or forsake us. Praise you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. I hope you have a great week. And uh, man, everybody come to the family conference Friday nights, the teen portion, Saturdays, the full family portion. It's going to be great. Pray for good weather for us. And if it is raining, we're still going to have a great time. It'll just all be inside. So it'll be great. And uh, make sure you have a great week. We will see you next time. Bye-bye.